Hello, I'm Brian. I'm Caroline. I'm Claire. And this is the Computer Weekly Downtime Upload Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast and a, a very warm welcome if you're a first time listener. And we could have quite a few of those because since we last did our podcast, three of us, our colleague Cliff Saren has done four podcasts, all all under our roof. <laughs> so we, yeah, the Goldilocks of um, Computer Weekly. So we might have some listeners who have been picked up from Cliff. What um, do you mean the Goldilocks? Well, are you know, we the three like bears? The three are bears? You saying he's been like stealing all of our shit? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we can take that out. No, um, I won't. So he's done. Yeah, he's done four podcasts. Can you believe that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. He's yeah, a busy he boy. I listened to the most recent one um, before today's podcast. Um, we're recording on Friday the 16th of September. Uh, that was uh, an interview Cliff did with Elias Khan, who's the CEO of, let me get this right, uh, Quantinium. And it was all about the quantum computing revolution. Um, very interesting man, actually. Um, I found out by going on Wikipedia just before coming on the podcast. Sounds very friendly. Uh, I thought he might be a fellow Scot. He sounds a bit like Armando Iannucci. Uh, but actually, he's from Lancashire, and he's—you can hear a kind of, almost kind of hybrid thing going on with his accent. But anyway, it's very good, uh, and you can hear that, listeners, through all the usual places: computerweekly.com and the different, you know, platforms that we're on. Um, so, like I said, we're recording on Friday, 16th of Sep, and uh, ahead of an unexpected bank holiday. Either mm-hmm. of you got any plans for, for this Monday? I'm going to remain indoors and mournfully respect the passing of our monarch. That's my plan. <laughs> Claire, you're looking like you maybe haven't filled your diary for Monday. I think Caroline gave the perfect answer. <laughs> Quiet introspection. Mm-hmm. An answer that I wish I could give, but I'll be sitting on a plane at Heathrow Airport. Because you have no respect. I have no respect, and I'm bound for <laughs> I'm bound for San Francisco, uh, and I, I my flight is at twelve twenty something like that, so it might be on the ground for quite a while because I I think the skies have to be clear. Mm. Um, does that I mean if they have certain plans, does the airspace have to be empty, or is it just a noise thing, or is this spectral speculation? This is uh, who was telling me this. I think I think Brian, our editor in chief, was talking about it the other day, and uh, I think it's as much to do with noise as anything mm. else. It has to be quiet. Um, but anyway, we shall see. Um, and I was also wondering if if I, because I'm travelling to the US, if uh, the US border guards will be nice to me if I'm clad in black. They might say, "Sorry for your loss, sir," and things like that. Or I'd be mortally offended that you've decided to leave the country during this period of mourning. And might I have not decided you. this. I have no choice. <laughs> I'm going to Dreamforce. Um, first transatlantic flight since uh, 2019, since before, since before the pandemic. Um, and I'm hoping. You see before COVID. 
Yeah, exactly. The before times. Uh, so I hope it'll be there'll be some fun, but yeah, some trepidation about a first flight after all that time. Um, I can't imagine it's changed that much. No, no. We shall see. So uh, just so the listeners know where we're going um, in this particular episode. So Claire, we're getting closer, closer to the publication of the list and all the event, etc. Yep. So you're going to be talking about that. Yep. I'm going to be filling you in on where we are in the process, how it's going, um, and then sort of like a little timeline of what to expect over the next month. And you've been super busy over the summer on this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Caroline, data centres and the energy crisis. Yes, there's a lot to pick through, um, but I'm just going to zero in on this story that we wrote about a month ago around um, the energy supply constraints from the national grid around West London and uh, the data centre industry is coming in for a bit of a kick in there. Yeah, yeah, I remember that piece. It's a brilliant piece. Anyway, we'll get on to that later. Um, So me, I'm going to talk about an interview I did with um, Rachel Helium, who is chair of the the Alliance for Data Science Professionals. So I'm going to talk about what she told me and, and say a little bit about the the Alliance itself. Um, but we're going to begin with, with Claire. Yes, so by the time the podcast airs, the voting will be closed for the most influential woman in UK Tech 2022. Um, we will be moving on to the next stage where the votes that have been submitted over the last month or so will be acting as one of the judges towards deciding the order of the top 50 and then the winner of the title Most Influential Woman in UK Tech. So by the time this airs, the voting will be with the judges. Um, And yeah that the judging session will be imminent. And we've had loads of votes, haven't we? Thousands. Yes, we have had lots of people voting and submitting their opinions. Um, it's It gets more and more popular each year, which is actually, you know, like really positive to see because it's something that, I mean, like I don't want to wish myself out of a job, but it's something that eventually I kind of hope that we don't have to do. Um, yeah. But but in the meantime, seeing it get bigger and bigger every year is always, you know, like an excellent thing. There was what six hundred women on the um the long list. On the long list, yeah, yeah. more than six hundred women on the long list. At the same time that the voting for the top fifty went out, we also released this year's additions to the Hall of Fame. And mm. um, so I know that we've discussed the Hall of Fame before. Um, it's the list that we have that runs alongside the top 50, where we submit the names of women that have made a lifetime contribution to um, diversity and tech. Um, Yeah, so that will be, that is on the website now. I think we added 10 names this year. So we added 10 last year because it was the 10th anniversary of the um, list. And we decided to add 10 again this year. yeah, because the the caliber and the number of women that are being put forward every year just gets bigger and better. So it's actually something that's 
it, even in the time that I've been looking after it has really grown and it's just really good to see. I noticed that um, Nicola Blackwood made the list this year, some CEO of, I think that's the title, Genomics England. So kind of in my kind of broad area of data, data stuff. Yeah, she she used to be the MP uh, quite close to where I'm sitting. She was MP for Oxford West and Abingdon, I believe. Yeah. So someone mm. that you someone that you have been aware of. Very much so. Yeah. 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 There are lots of there are so many different industries, jobs, small, medium, large businesses, all sorts of you know like different sectors, um, academic as well as you know um highly technical yeah i know that the the long list grows every year and so does the hall of fame and so does the number of rising stars but so does the the scope of nominees as well yeah there's always something different happening i don't know i love it you can tell that i'm passionate about it is why why i do it that's brilliant that's brilliant and and the event itself um it's kind of late, is it late October 19th? Yes. Yeah, 19th of October, yeah. Yes, it's on the 19th of October. It's the first in-person event, um, diversity and inclusion event we've had since, I think, of course. 2019. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so 2020 and 2021 were both online events. Mm. Um, this one will be an in-person event. The topic this year is inclusion equals everyone. Okay. So, um. One of the things that I'm hoping to focus on during the day at some point is, um, you know, when you have internal employee networks, so you might have, you know, like a women in tech network or a LGBTQIA plus network. Yeah. And they can be tremendously helpful for those groups. But at the same time, you want to make sure that allies and people outside of the scope of that group feel like that they can um contribute towards inclusion um you know like for people who might fall within those groups so i'm hoping to get a panel together to kind of discuss that and and sort of see what their opinion is on you know how we can make those kinds of things more accessible and open and make sure that everybody feels like that they're able to sort of like join help assist be part of it yeah move like everybody forward as a whole yeah maybe ambitious but that's what I want to know. <laughs> Caroline, do you think you'll make it along this year? Uh, potentially no, just because I have, um, uh, well, in, in speaking inclusively, I have uh, like a dependent. Yeah, I do have a dependent yeah. of Bruno, and he can be left for mm. four hours. So I could actually pop along maybe for a two hour bit in the, in the morning or the afternoon or maybe just for lunch just uh, if there's a free food um but no <laughs> there is <laughs> um, but no no it's always uh, when i've been previous years it's always been good discussions and very thought-provoking and you sit there a bit like oh my god should i get up and cheer no no i shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell you so what we could do um at the end at the in the tail end of the event we're going to be announcing the winner of the the order and the winner of the top 50 Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, a, a networking portion where okay. people can talk about it and stuff. And there will, there will be some drinks. So, yeah, maybe you should come to that bit. 
yeah, I could bring on my phone and just do what I always do in company nowadays and just show and bore people about Bruno, the dog, and just show him pictures. And, oh, my God, this is the funniest yeah. thing. Like, anyway, I've, I've got a second. I've got a move. <laughs> got a network. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to alienate mine. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah Are you coming, Brian? I'd love to come. However, oh. I'll be in Vegas. Oh, wow. I'll be, wow. I'll be in Las Vegas, yeah. I'm on my one... Dog one man quest to destroy the environment i'll be flying back to <laughs> <laughs> flying over the atlantic again so no i'd love to come but i can't um, that's why that's why nicknamed the taylor swift of computer weekly because she got <laughs> came in the stick for using her private plane too much and said this on the internal company zoom just like he's the taylor swift of computer weekly because he just can't stop flying everywhere <laughs> oh my, my nieces would love to hear me described that way yeah, well, Ma massive, massive fans. Are you um, telling me that they don't listen to the podcast? <laughs> well, I have tried to get them to do that. Um, but you brought a heartbreak album like Taylor Swift about that very topic the fact that they don't listen to your podcast. And then, yeah, 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 very circular, but yeah, that's a that's an idea, definitely. Definitely, we look um, forward to it. Yeah, no, it would, it would be great to come. Um, but I'm at the Oracle Cloud World. Ooh. Which used to be Oracle Open World. Yeah. Do you see yeah. what they did there? Every all a lot of the tech firms <laughs> are undergoing a, a rebrand of their uh VM World is called uh VMware Explore this year and stuff. Yeah, it's like everyone's had like the pandemic to sort of hey, do we come back different? You know, change the name, change the game. There you go. So uh, they all be the same stuff, but yeah. <laughs> So Claire, any anything else to update us on at this particular moment, or is it? I think it's a case of watch and wait mm. at the mm. minute. So yeah, the, the cool. hard work has been done, and now it's time to. It'll be wait. very exciting. Are you, are you going to be chairing it again? Most of it, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, brilliant. And you'll be doing that like in real life, as opposed to. Mm -hmm last few times although that's been fun too yeah it's it's very different it's a different yeah. different beast yeah yeah well thank you thank you so much for that claire so the background i was sort of slightly facetious there about my um transatlantic flying and the the damage to the environment as a consequence of that but the backdrop to all of our lives is is the energy crisis um so caroline data centers have a particular place here don't they that i guess might be invisible to a lot of people we don't really think about data centers at all let alone their impact on um energy so yeah tell us tell us all about it yeah, I guess, um, yeah, it's been a, a strange few months, really. I think the data center industry as a whole, they're a, an industry that's kind of renowned for being secretive and off the radar. And, you know, they're just very quietly yeah. making sure the digital economy is ticking along. But they have found themselves sort of the, the focus of uh, national news coverage and things like that. So that's what I was going to talk about today. Um, but particularly where their resource consumption is concerned. Yeah, I'd stick, yeah, so I'd stick my neck on the line and say uh, the resource consumption habits of data centres are coming under far closer scrutiny now than probably at any other point in time, it, it, particularly in my time of reporting on this industry. Yeah. And it's 
topic we've discussed loads of times on the podcast before as well, in terms of how like the high amounts of energy that data centres consume is causing sort of supply issues in some of the major server farm hubs like Dublin. Um, I don't know if we did discuss Amsterdam on the podcast before, but we've done loads of reporting on the issues they've had there as well on Computer Weekly. And um, but also as well as energy, also been touching on how uh, how much water is being consumed in the cooling of data centres and how yeah. that is exacerbating drought conditions in some water stressed areas of the world as well. So yeah, so perhaps unsurprisingly on the back of those discussions and those uh, those discussions being at the forefront of things, uh, yeah, da the data centre industry has found itself in the crosshairs of the national press of recent times, which has been quite interesting, but mainly because it, the industry as a whole is not being portrayed in the best of lights. They're very much the villains of the piece uh, where the national newspapers are concerned. Um, and what's been quite interesting as well is that I've spent years as a data centre writer basically silencing, I don't know, I've never been, well, I've never been to a dinner party, but like silencing dinner parties and drinks receptions. Like, oh, what do you write about data centres? <laughs> Crippling. Like just, wow, good for you. But now, I, you know, you are starting to, sort of people sort of take, pay attention to these because they are, you know, it's an industry that is appearing in the, the national news a lot more. Um, pr probably, I think, riffing a bit here, but I think probably since the stuff with the Apple data centre in Ireland, that was such a big story that people, oh my God, like a tiny little village in, as it were, as it was being portrayed in Ireland, suddenly going up against Apple to build what? A data centre? What's this? Why don't they want it? That kind of thing. It's sort of, yeah. I think the start of it could probably be traced back there a little bit. But anyway, in this this case, um, yeah, so they have found themselves sort of the villain of the piece. And maybe I'm biased, but I'm not sure that the portrayal is particularly fair. Um, so this story that cropped up uh, last month was, um, it was in the Financial Times, and it was also covered by The Telegraph too. And it focused on this guidance note that the Greater London Authority circulated in July to sort of property developers. And it basically said that because there's been a rapid influx of data centres along the M4 corridor, it's putting so much pressure on the electricity transmission and distribution networks in the London boroughs of Ealing, Hillingdon and Hounslow that um, basically these data centres have absorbed all the remaining electricity capacity in that region for the remainder of the decade which sounds pretty bad, um, but sort of what makes it worse is that um, sort of commercial housing and industrial developers were told by the GLA that they now, now have to wait about several years to get their de developments hooked up to the grid, which again, sounds really bad. So it's just like, you know, if you're a developer, you're like, oh, I want to build this thing, oh, you have to wait three years to get an electricity connection to it. And so this led to headlines about there being a ban on new homes being built in West London because you, know, you just can't get a connector forum but um yeah i did a bit of digging on this and um it's actually not the case um which and i was kind of like, oh no I, I don't when you're writing a story like this and the, the national media is saying this and i'm like oh, actually that's not true oh god like what if i've got the wrong end of the stick I've, you know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah it's a little bit of a palpitations kind of moment um but yeah basically i spoke to sort of representatives from the local councils affected and hillingdon uh, which is actually my local council um, described the stories as somewhat scaremongering uh, because there's no evidence that any ha new housing schemes in its jurisdiction were being affected by this situation. You know, th there might be capacity supply concerns, but like, there's nothing here. There's no, we're not putting a ban on new homes or anything like that. And I spoke to some sources I have in the energy market who were very, very close to this particular situation. And they said there's no immediate shortage of power and there's no bans on new homes being built either. 
And then I spoke to Tech UK and they said they'd also received a clarifying statement from the GLA also saying that, you know, there's not a ban on new homes. You know, that's not what our statement says. It's all, it mentions that data centres have come in and they're using up a lot of energy, but nowhere is there like no new homes can be built because of data centres. That's not happening. Um, and so I, you know, I spoke to some people I know in the data centre industry and yeah, they were uh, not very happy, <laughs> like I say, about this portrayal of the data centre industry. I think the I think the one that kind of riled them the most was the Telegraph's coverage um, with its headline. It described data centres being energy vampires. That yeah, that I love that phrase. But I read that piece in I read that in your piece, energy vampires. <laughs> yeah, that's sucking Britain's grid dry. Which was like, oh, actually, it's not Britain. It's West London. So come on, yeah. I'm, I mean, West London. It's a great place. It's all. You know, all walks of life are here, but I don't think we're representing mm. all of Britain. But anyway, um, so again, I sort of did some sort of digging into this uh, around lots of local planning, local council planning portals. And what I uncovered was some interesting things that, again, kind of debunk this sort of image that's being put across, you know, data centres are energy vampires. But what I found was, um, so there's quite an interesting tip that, um, amongst one of the planning portals. Um, yeah, again, in Hillingdon Council's major applications planning committee documents, um, it, said, it showed that they gave the green light in April this year to cult data centre services so they could build a data centre campus in my hometown of Hayes, West London. Um, yeah, they gave the green light to this and the planning documents do acknowledge that there is, and this is a direct quote, insufficient electric, elect, sorry, insufficient electrical capacity to meet the requirements of this new data centre. But Colt have agreed to fund a body of work that will take four years to complete. We'll provide additional electrical capacity, not just to cover their data centre, but also for sort of other members of the local community to take ah. part as well. So you're sort of like, okay, so you can't be an energy vampire if you are, yeah, you're consuming from the grid, but you're also putting stuff back into it to make sure there is not just enough energy for your data centre, but also for the local community as well. So it's kind of like, like I say, the, this this whole portrayal of data centres has annoyed the industry because like you know no one's reporting on these things that are tucked away in sort of planning portals that you know people are sort of saying that but they're also it caught there's it's um i don't know there's lots of different things here at play but the, something that came across in the article is a few people sort of mentioned that you know this they're not being sufficient capacity um or the grid not having enough um supply isn't isn't anything new but we're you know the data center industry so they feel like they're being blamed you know, it's something that's been warned about we've reported on the warnings about the grid not having enough power capacity um i think i did it a couple of years ago i think 2016 uh, there's a report out saying you know we need massive amounts of uh, reinvestment in the grid because we just don't have enough capacity coming on board you know with the government trying to shut down coal and um, wind down our reliance on fossil fuels. There's not enough renewables coming onto the grid to replace that. So we need a lot of investment. So they're sort of saying, oh, we fell up with a scapegoat to the fact the government's done nothing to sort of deal with this situation. But um, I think a lot of it, though, some of the stuff though, is just this 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 sort of issue again that harks back to the fact that it, it's in the data center industry's interest to be off the radar because you've the yeah you know the the data they contain, the information they hold, you don't want, yeah, well, there's data and like, let's go and smash it up. We could take off, like take, you know, you know, Barclays Bank out of business for like an afternoon. That'd be fun. You know, it's it makes it makes sense for them to be below the radar, but, but now they're sort of having to come on, you know, come onto the radar. It's almost like, 
there's there's a lot of education to be done to sort of get people like yeah yes they consume a lot of energy but there's this other stuff going on right. and I think so I think yeah you know I think it just speaks to the fact that outside the trade media there isn't a lot of awareness of exactly what data centers are and what they contribute in terms of power in the digital economy and also maybe still in parts of government a bit of a, a misunderstanding about what data centers are and what they do as well I think like I say it's just a a mishmash of yes they consume a lot but they do other things too are they the bad guys no not really it's it, yeah it's i think we'll see lots of other maybe misunderstandings uh come out like this over time as well but yeah it's it's an interesting sort of story to work on because like i say it's just like you know that's not you know the portrayal in the national press isn't you know really what's happening on the ground at all and like i say i'm not Usually I'm someone like, well, you know, there's no smoke without fire. But like, well, actually, no, it's just a bit of a, if you do a bit of digging, you see what the actual story is. And as I said earlier, it's a, it's a brilliant, it's a brilliant piece that um, uh, Caroline's talking about there. It's about 3,000 words. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and there's so, much, there's so much more to write, like to say that yeah. the energy supply crisis, but obviously it's something I'm working on at the minute, which I need to sort of, rejig because Cliff's written a few things on it now as well. But um around the impacts of energy pricing. Um he he wrote he's written some stuff about how because of energy price rises, people's IT estates are going to become more um expensive to run. And so there's going to be like a, a more of a focus on consolidation, like get cutting waste from your like do do these like do these bits of your infrastructure need to be running because they're costing a lot of money. You know, let's eliminate idle servers, that kind of thing. But I've been sort of talking to people on the sort of data center side of things and yeah, just getting a real breakdown of how the energy crisis is affecting the actual cost of running an on-premise data center. So um I've had some prices sort of quoted to me, someone said, oh you know, for a 20 rack Serve a uh, 20, 20 strong server rack, say in a data center, it used to cost 15p per kilowatt hour to run it, and now yeah. it's 86p per kilowatt hour. So, like, so their sort of cost of running their IT estate has just gone woof, right up. And for a little while, we had co location providers who were sort of like, Hey, we've locked in power prices at this price. If you come to us, you know, you're going to be cushioned from any energy price rises your you know the service you're running now will just cost the same as they have before you'll be fine but those kind of tariffs they were all the, the deals they've done are, are running out of time now so a lot of them are having to renegotiate power prices so there's like a perfect storm brewing of basically it buyers going to find the cost of actually running their it is going to become a lot more expensive um so they've got to decide well they've got to decide but like on running it in their own server room is going to be expensive moving it to a colo if you can get the right colo you might be able to avoid some of those energy costs but their prices are going to be going up and then if you move to the cloud you're hearing from a lot of the big cloud providers now that oh you know you're gonna to have to brace yourself we're going to have to cut costs because our energy costs are rising so yeah basically running it is going to become more expensive because of energy prices is is colo short for co-location yes yeah but sorry you with your jargon yeah yeah <laughs> sorry i think it's just a symptom i've spent too 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 much time this week talking to people yeah. about you've this. been deep yeah. in it yeah it's too deep uh, am i a server now i don't know i hope not it is a big is a big concern isn't it? i was speaking recently to the sap user group and this is a basically energy cost is a big really mm. big concern for for corporate it at the minute enterprise it um and you would kind of hope that you know they would want to 
to be more green and more sustainable anyway for yeah. the sake of the planet. But there's this huge cost reduction imperative now. Yeah, I think having that's to... Yeah, like for a long time, it's just like, you know, well, it's just power. Power's so cheap. We can just keep running things. We don't really need to optimise anything. It will just work it, you know, who's got time for that? Let's just, power's cheap. We can just run as many servers as we want or we think we need. And now it's like, oh, actually, that attitude is going to cost us money. So we do need to become a bit more efficient, energy efficient. And yeah, yeah a guy I was talking to this week, um, he was sort of said, you know, it's a shame that it's this, that it's energy prices that are forcing people to, forcing people to maybe operate more uh, in a more energy efficient way yeah more sustainable ways but you know at least something's pushing things that way rather than yeah you should be seen to do the right thing and you know that kind of thing so it's yeah but yeah that does seem to be what's happening yeah that's that's the impression i've been getting from those sap those sap users but i mean that kind of optimization requires a tremendous amount of number crunching you know to, to become more eco-efficient um, does require the application of um, quite a lot of data science. Do you think that these the data centre operators employ any data scientists? Any data scientists in there? I imagine the, away? Well, I imagine the the bigger guys probably do. But I think, I, I, yeah, I mean, for years I've been talking about using AI anyway for optimising data centre resources, yeah. around sort of planning, like calling things like that rather than have someone there i don't know if this is how it works but i just imagine i always thought you get ai to replace it's like a little guy with a thermometer oh it's getting a bit cold out so, oh, it's getting a bit <laughs> let's let's uh change change what we're doing here uh, but yeah i think yeah i imagine so there's you know some of these some of these estates are so vast and there's so many different metrics to track like say aside from just power and cooling and heating and mm. things like that um mm. Uh, yeah, so I imagine probably somewhere, somewhere, mm. it's someone beavering away, just keeping. Yeah. yeah, I imagine there's someone with a data science job title in there somewhere, <laughs> which 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 brings me very neatly onto my interview with um, uh, Rachel Helium, uh, chair of the Alliance, uh, the Mighty Alliance for Data Science Professionals. Uh, and Ra Rachel's also, <clears throat> she's a professor of statistics at the Open University, and she is a vice president at the Royal Statistical Society. And very nice she is too. I interviewed her um, earlier in the summer. Um, about the same time as the podcast lands uh, on computerweekly.com, my interview with her will be, you know, will be there uh, to, to to be read. And I've I've written a couple of things about this. Um, this new is a new thing. This alliance for data science professionals um, before. So, so what is the alliance for data science professionals? I hear you ask. Um, well, look, it, it comprises six organisations. I want to get this right. So, there's a Royal Statistical Society. There's the the BCS, whose proper title I always forget. Um, but anyway, there's the BCS, who we know very well. Uh, the Institute of Mathematics and its applications, the IMA, which I know nothing about, but I'm sure it's great. Um, and there's three other organisations involved in the Alliance. The, uh, the Turing Institute, the National Physical Laboratory and the Operational Research Society. 
so yeah, the 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 key movers in this are the, like the societies, so the Royal Society um, for Statistics, the BCS, um, and the IMA. Um, interestingly, the uh, the BCS when when Liz Truss um, became our Prime Minister, their statement, you know, was saying these should be your tech priorities, Prime Minister six tech priorities. They they flagged up the um they flagged up the uh, the alliance as one of the you know one of the things that they're involved in that's really important and how data science is going to be very important to the to British economy uh, etc. Um, so it is quite a big initiative for for these groups. Um, so I mean the way that it the way that it works um, is that these organisations have come together to define standards for competence in data science and you can be accredited against that and get a certificate saying you are a bona fide data scientist but you do it through so you do it maybe through the bcs or do it through the rss so this isn't going to be you know awarding the certificates done through through the member societies which is kind of quite a clever way of doing it rather than setting up a completely new a completely new society um and some of these societies are chartered. I never know exactly what that means, but it does have to go through the Privy Council and things like that, because like the BCS is is a chartered, um, uh, has a royal charter. Uh, um, so this the alliance doesn't have that as yet um, and probably won't. Um, but it's yeah, it's, it's interesting the way they've come together. It's very interdisciplinary data science and the fact that they're coming together is a is an indication of how you know how it is interdisciplinary and like I said the Turing and the the other ones the NPL and URS they've helped to define the standards I had a quick look at this before coming on the podcast I had a quick look at the you know what the competencies are and, and they aren't things like oh I'm fantastic with Excel or I know Python or R they are very kind of almost managementy um these competencies uh, and to get this particular certificate which is the first thing that they're doing you know you need to be quite experienced as a data scientist so in July they came together in 2019 to figure all this out so they've been working on it since then these these things take maybe longer than we journalists appreciate especially during a pandemic um, but in July they had their first cohort of accredited data scientists um, I think there was 13 of them, so not not a big group to begin with. The gender balance, interestingly, is about 50-50 in that initial group. I mean, it probably won't be like that going forward, but you know that that's a you know very pleasing thing to to see. Um, they're planning more certifications, maybe more at an entry level, uh, but it is very early days. How come you don't think that the cohorts will carry on being 50-50? Just because of the larger numbers, just because of the larger numbers. Well, I mean, that's what she said to me, Rachel. Um, she said she'd be surprised if it. I mean, it's good, um, but you know, it'll still be better than IT in general. As okay. was her kind of basic basic feeling. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah. Am I putting you on the spot by asking you how the recruitment for 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 this happens? 
It's an application that you so you if like if you remember the BCS, then you would know about this through things like I guess my articles and, and the um the website and things like that. It's very early days for this, by the way. So as a member of the BCS, you would know about it and then you would apply. So they're kind of aiming at people who already kind of have an IT speciality. Yeah, yeah, or a statistical speciality, because like I said, they're drawing people from the other member societies like the RSS and the uh, what's the mathematical one, the IMA. Um, oh, so that's okay. where they're coming from. But it's, it's quite a small cohort to begin with, and and they are quite advanced, these people, but the plan is to kind of democratise it more. Towards the end of this year, they're going to have another certificate. Um, she didn't want me to say too much about that because it seems like these things take a long time. You know, when you've got discussions yeah. between the BCS and the RSS and the Turing and so on. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I mean, from a from a CIO perspective, why is this important? I think it's important if you want to build up a data science team. So where do you get your data scientists from? And you want to know they're like bona fide. So you wouldn't like you wouldn't get a, a lawyer or an accountant to like handle your legal case or do your accounts unless they were like cheap. properly <laughs> cheap, but also properly certified. Yeah, <laughs> you know, better call Saul and all that. Yeah, um, and that's yeah. I mean, that's where they want to get to with this profession that, that is seen as a really kind of prestigious, prestigious thing. Um, but yeah, I was I was thinking like on our on our last podcast, like I said, I mean, people can read the what what Rachel has to say at length, so I won't kind of just repeat what she, she said. But um, so on our last podcast, I, I said that quite often in an interview towards the very end, I'll say, is there anything else or anything else you want to put across? Or, um, there's different wordings for that. Um, but there is another technique which I ended up using on this interview, which was Oh, one final thing. Colombo. Yeah, and I said, mm -hmm. one final thing. Tell me more about diversity. Um, and uh, and she said interesting things about that, which a couple of which hadn't really occurred to me, but I mean, I'm sure they've occurred to you, both of you. One is, she said, well, is data science, is it, could it be something that's more appealing and more attractive to, to girls and young women and women than maybe other areas of IT? Um, and she seemed to she seemed to say yes, probably. Um, she said they have the same thing in mathematics, you know, same less so in statistics because more women tend to do statistics as such. Uh, but she said with um, she said, well, I mean, if you say to like a 15, 16 year old girl, well, you know, what are you interested in? And if they say, well, like design, I'd like to maybe go into design. Well, there's a lot of design in computer science, there's a lot of design in data science, there's a lot of design work in that. But would, you know, would your, you know, would a teacher or would a parent kind of say say that? Probably not, Rachel said. So she thinks there's a lot of education, a lot of work that has to be done to get skills and careers departments, but also mm -hmm. parents to see that data science is something that, you know, their child could have a career in. Mm. That A is really well paid, which it is, but B actually is is worthwhile and makes the world a better place and uh, and things like that. So it was it was a you know it was a nice interview and like I said you can 
see what you said about those those kind of topics. It's very early days for this, for this alliance. Yeah. Mm. But you both deal with um, societies and stuff, don't you? You deal with the BCS and Tech UK and whatnot, uh, part of our world. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's interesting this because I don't know. You just like, well, I'm trying. I shouldn't keep referring things back to the fact that I'm a dog owner now. But like, it's like, the whole thing with like dog trainers and behaviorists and things like that's who I'm working with at the minute. And I didn't realize it's a completely unregulated industry. Anyone can just set up shop and just but hey, I'm a dog trainer. Like, well, what what your qualification? Well, I've brought you know so many different routes into the industry. I've just had dogs all my life. What one person could say. So I've trained all those. There's my there's my portfolio. So no, I think it's interesting hearing about just drawing parallels in that, that you need, you should have like a recognised route into an industry to make sure you are, if you're going to pay someone top, you know, top amounts of yeah. money, they, they do have, yeah. they're not just like, hey, yeah, it's a new, it's a new field. I'll just set up as myself as an expert and just hope no one finds me out. I don't really know what I'm doing. That's, that's <laughs> how I got into journalism. But, um, but yeah, but yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, interesting yeah but let's say for any any kind of new and well not it's not a new new field you know we've had data science data scientists for years now but yeah I just yeah i do think it's interesting definitely something we need so like i say you don't just get get enterprise oh we should have a data scientist like yeah yeah we should definitely have one of those and then end up paying someone who doesn't really know what they're doing and, yeah yeah and there's a big market need for um like consultancies who want to provide data science based consultancy they want yeah. to be able to say yeah that you know the the people on my team they've been they've been certified by the the alliance for yeah. da -da -da -da. Um, yeah yeah we keep hearing was it that i hate the but, phrase, but data is the sort of new oil sorry and then it's just like you know so that is the currency of your business so you want to put it in a trusted pair of hands rather than just hand it over to anybody <laughs> some spreadsheet jockey yeah yeah exactly um i think as well the fact that it's an alliance and there's that element of collaboration you can draw parallels between that and the importance of diversity and inclusion as well because you have you know different mindsets different groups of people different opinions that can all contribute to you know like what makes this a good program what makes these good data scientists what do people need from them stuff like that so i think that's quite cool as well well that's a brilliant point that's a brilliant point because it's it is interdisciplinary and i think um it's quite often i'm not the first person to say this is said all the time but you know when there was a kind of big data rhetoric and the hype around big data and data science is great etc companies were often looking for somebody who could do everything. Mm. There's kind of magical person, but it's not like that. You have to build up a, a team that's got a different spread of um, competencies within it. Mm. Uh, and, and that's another thing that, that um, yeah, the Alliance is in response to is, is that concept of it's interdisciplinary and you need different different types of expertise within a data science team. You know, you might have someone who's fantastic with Python, but you need someone else to talk to the business in a way that they will understand. And that was another thing that Rachel said about um, about data science was not just the design thing, but also the storytelling thing. That's mm. a big, big feature of data science is, is telling stories with the data. So is, that you know, like, for the, sorry, like, is that like data visualization then? Yeah. Like, 
Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that would be part of that, but also just being able to talk to folk mm. using using your, the work that you've done, you know, the data crunching that you've done. So we'll link to that interview and, um, you know, in the article that goes with the podcast uh, as to everything else that we've discussed in, in the episode. Um, and you can listen to the podcast itself on computerweekly.com as well as subscribe to the podcast and say nice things about it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music. Sadly, I think that's all we've got time for this time around. So just remains for me to say really on behalf of the listeners, actually, um, thank you very much to Caroline. You're welcome. Thank you so much to Claire. Anytime, listeners. And thank you to you, listener, very much for listening and getting all the way to the end. Okay, till next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.